Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 411 now of the Ron and Don Show, and heck yeah, we are live from the Les Schwab studio. What's the 411, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, we're going to talk about how men through the pandemic have become lonely, and it's become a lot of women's problems. <laughs> But there's some hope. Also, Matthew McConaughey, by the time you've heard this, it was about a week ago that he went to the other Washington, spoke to Congress, behind door meetings, Republicans, Democrats, spoke with the president. And then something very unusual, you guys. Last time I saw this, I think they allowed Bill Murray to do this from Caddyshack. Uh, Who else has done it? Who stepped up in the in the uh, in the briefing room at the White House? Uh, Will Ferrell has done it before, right? Uh, Dana Carvey has done it, imitating the president. Well, we saw Matthew McConaughey step to the microphone and talk about the school shootings in Texas in his hometown. And he did something that I haven't seen anyone else do. And it was very effective. And that's one of the reasons why I hope for change. And I tell you what, that guy one day could be the governor of Texas and he could be the president of the United States because of three things he did in that speech. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Yellowstone. Everybody's watching it. Now everybody wants to go there. Everyone wants to live there. I know of a number of cops and firefighters that worked here in Seattle and they're building homes over there right now. And Ron, there's been a real Yellowstone effect when it comes to places like Montana and Idaho. Yeah, this is an interesting story. They, I guess the, the finale, I, I haven't made it through the whole series. You turned me on to 1883, which I watched. Uh, which is the prequel to Yellowstone. And then I, I've made it through about the first season and a little bit of the second season of Yellowstone. But the finale season of that had the biggest numbers of people tuning in uh, for this cable platform. I believe it's Paramount Plus of any show they've had. It's over 9 million people uh, tuned in to the finale, which in today's TV numbers is huge. Uh, back in the day, you know, you could get a regular episode of American Idol would get 25, 30 million people to watch it. That's not the way it is anymore with all the streaming services. So to get over 9 million, uh, it was a very big deal for them. And the ancillary effect of this is the housing prices in, especially places like Bozeman, have gone up in some categories like 60%. And the people that have lived there their entire lives are trying to just or be blue collar worker in parts of Montana are really struggling because they can't keep up with this basically uh, arms race on prices like Habitat for Humanity has been deployed there to say this is an emergency. Like you've had people that have lived and worked in Montana with their family, kind of like the characters in this television show going back generations. And now the quote unquote rich people are flooding in here and buying up ranches, buying up condos, wanting to be out on the the plains or be near a river or near the mountains. Then they've, they've romanticized this lifestyle that Kevin Costner uh, has popularized in the show. And it's, it's, 
I, I guess it's a good thing or a bad thing. You can say it's a good thing. A lot of money's coming into the economy unless you've been there for a long time and you were sort of on the margins anyway. Yeah, I disagree. I don't think it was because of Yellowstone. My friends have been moving to Montana and Idaho, been moving to Montana and Idaho before they even invented that television show. I see it differently. Uh, when you look at the move to the American West, to the American Southwest, I remember growing up in Chicago and all of a sudden my dad wanted to go West or wanted to go to the Southwest. And not only did we go to the Southwest, but we went to the Southwest and there were six other families that we went with from Chicago. My dad was a volunteer firefighter and a, um, corrections officer and also a truck driver and a car salesman, lots of other things. He ended up heading to the Southwest with a guy who used to be the fire chief of, I don't know if you're familiar with Zion and where the Zion Township is just outside of Chicago. He was the fire chief there and he decided to leave that job because he also was tired of Chicago, the Windy City, uh, tired of the economy there and also just tired of the weather and how cold it was. So we, we ended up moving as a result of that to the Southwest. And a lot of people, if you didn't move to the Southwest, you ended up moving to California. And then what happens is all of a sudden everyone's in California and you're looking around and going, is this it? <laughs> because we can't go any farther West. And what you see happening now, which is really unusual, is you see people now pushing to get back into the interior of the country. One of that, one, one reason for that is affordability. Another reason for that big time, you guys, is politics. So for a lot of cops around here that felt like they got defunded and disrespected. And at the same time in this city, they felt like they worked for one of the most progressive police departments in the country. Don't forget, we were under the site of the DOA, uh, the DOJ for well over 10 years. Uh, that's one of the reasons why they brought a reformer in here to be the police chief. When you look at Catholic, And so here you have a police department that was supposed to be retooled under Kathleen O'Toole, that was supposed to be uh, the shining police department on a hill. And even when you look at their bike cops, for instance, you'd have people come from all over the world and say, look what they do in Seattle with bike cops. We want to do that, too. And then you have what happened with, with George Floyd. And you have a lot of cops and police officers that ended up feeling disrespected or not feeling safe. And as a result of that, they are moving to places where they feel respected and safe and also where people share a common politics. So if they're not moving to Montana and Idaho, we see a lot of people still pushing back into the interior of the country because you can go back to Zion Benton now and you can buy a home there, a kick-ass home, a 3,000 square foot home for about $150,000. That is affordability. I also see a lot of younger people saying to themselves, you know what we're going to do is we're going to home base uh, in a place like Ohio, where it's much more affordable to own a home. And then what we'll do is we'll live in other parts of the country and we'll just, we'll drive our car there. We'll fly a plane. We can work from our laptop. I see this happening at my Airbnbs all the time. In fact, the gentleman that's staying in my basement right now, he's here for five months. He's working for Amazon. He is located in Colorado and he's going to go back to Colorado when he's done here. That's kind of his home base because he has a place there that he feels is very affordable, even though Colorado is becoming not so affordable. But yeah, there's this push 
Talk to people in uh, where your sister's from, in Nashville, Tennessee. There are people moving now to Nashville, Tennessee. It's a boom city. Uh, people are moving where it's affordable. They share common politics. And uh, Montana just happens to be one of those places until it's not affordable, right? Yeah, until it's not affordable. And, and, and it's the age-old argument that you hear in Seattle all the time as well of change is hard. What about the locals? What about the people that have been here for a long time that get pushed out or marginalized? It happened on, on Capitol Hill. It's happened in South Lake Union. It's happened all around our area where the, the old timers are like, it used to not be this way. That, I guess, is either progress or digression, depending on what side of the coin you're on. Yeah, we will see you guys on the other side of this. When Seattle nonprofit Plymouth Healing Communities decided to sell one of their group homes for the mentally ill and homeless, board member Catherine Walker turned to Ron and Don. It was a complicated and delicate deal. They didn't want people traipsing in and out and disturbing the residents. So instead of hanging a for sale sign, the guys turned to their deep network and found a buyer themselves. It very quickly got to terms and we signed and that was that. And then they followed through on everything to make this happen. And Catherine says she was even more blown away by what Ron and Don did next. They offered to donate their commission. It was incredible. Their generosity had a meaningful impact on the lives of 47 residents in our organization. Heart, soul, expertise, Catherine says all of that and more is what sets Ron and Don apart from other realtors. They did a great job and genuinely interested in helping us achieve our goals. They seemed truly service-minded as opposed to kind of transaction-minded. So whether you're selling or buying, take Catherine Walker's work and schedule your Ron and Don sit-down today. Sign up for the nation news at rondonradio.com. All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. And don't forget, you just heard from one of our great clients. If you need to get in touch with us, we have a brand new way to get in touch with us, don't we, Ron? Yeah, you can email me directly now, ron at ronanddon.com. So that's ron, R-O-N, at R-O-N-A-N-D-D-O-N.com. You can't use the little symbol. Yeah, anything about the show, anything about real estate, you're thinking about listing, selling, investing, 1030, whatever it is, Ron at ronanddon.com. That's him. And I'm Don at ronanddon.com. So you can write me also. It'll come directly to our email boxes. And we can talk about this broadcast. We talk about something we said, something you'd like to say. You want to interact with us in any way, or we can talk about real estate too. So ron at ronanddon.com. Don at ronanddon.com. And you can reach out to us today. By the time you've heard this, it's been about a week since Matthew McConaughey showed up in the other Washington. And he was very emotional and gave an incredible speech. And I think the reason he felt so emotional is because in his hometown is where he saw 19 children gunned down and two teachers. And now the stories are coming out about the police department, their response, because we talk about good guys with guns. And these were good guys with guns that weren't responding. Uh, We're hearing about these 911 calls from children inside. We hear about them spreading blood on themselves, pretending to be dead. Just just I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine for many of these children, these teachers, and all the kids that went to this school, what would it be like to go back to this school? Is this a school that will end up getting torn down? What do you do with these classrooms? Because all this is going to be is triggers, triggers, triggers for these young people. And you talk about really having to get your hands around these kids that are no longer with us, especially if you lost a brother or sister. 
I just can't imagine, you guys. So Matthew McConaughey was invited to go to the White House and speak with President Biden, which he did. And then he went and talked with Republicans and Democrats behind closed doors. And he said, I'm not going to talk about what our conversations were about, which I think is really smart. He has talked before about running for the governorship in the great state of Texas. And after hearing his speech, and Ron, I don't know if you heard it. If you haven't heard it, you should go listen to it. After hearing his speech... I think he's a guy that not only could get elected in Texas, but I think he could also get elected as the president of the United States. And you say, well, they never uh, elect an actor, would they? Well, talk to Ronald Reagan or talk to someone like Donald Trump. Of course they would do that. When you go back to listen to the speech, he does a number of things that I think are very effective. And when I used to speak in churches or speak to kids or even on the radio, a couple of things that he did that I, that I, that I thought were amazing. Number one, he used a different type of language when he was when he was speaking. So during his speech, he didn't sit there and talk about common sense gun control because that's a talking point on the left. Common sense gun control. He didn't do that. Also, on the right, talking about the Second Amendment, he was very careful not to step on the Second Amendment when he was speaking but he embraced the Second Amendment. He embraced being a gun owner. He talked about what it was like to grow up in that small town where all these kids were shot and killed and what it was like in the way that his parents and his grandparents taught him how to use a gun and what they used a gun for. So if, if you have an opportunity, this is what Bill Clinton did. Bill Clinton was very good at not just hammering on talking points, hammering at the right on their talking points or embracing the left. He found a way to have conversations in the middle, and that's why his presidency was so effective. Ronald Reagan did the same thing. He had conversations in the middle, and a lot of people said, well, he's a centrist. When you listen to his language, when you listen to the way that he spoke, he probably was. More than that, he was a unifier, and and, and we certainly, certainly saw this in Matthew McConaughey's speech the other day. And then as he's speaking, he was speaking in very broad strokes, and I I was saying to myself, get personal. You have to tell those children's stories. You have to get personal. There's a lot of people that speak. Hillary Clinton had a really hard time doing this when she'd say, I was out on the campaign trail the other day and, and then fill in the blank and tell the story. You guys, that's what Bill Clinton was so good at. Hillary Clinton, not so much. When you look at Ronald Reagan, excellent at that. Say what you want to say about George W. Bush, but as soon as he started getting folksy, the same thing with Barack Obama, when they would tell a very specific story, it was very powerful. And what he did is he took a little girl's shoe that she had drawn a heart on, and he threw it down in the lectern. He told her story in a very powerful way. And he said, you know what? This was the only way they were able to identify her. And he threw the shoe down. He told her story. He didn't stick to talking points on the right and left. And then he made some suggestions that I'm not going to get into here, but they are suggestions that I think would make sense to all of us that love kids. All of us that love kids. 
And if you have a moment, I beg you to go out on Reddit when you have a moment and just type in what other countries think about the mass shootings that happen here in the United States. And think about this. Think about this. And I said it on last week's show. Out of the hundreds of countries around the world, there are only three countries left that's still in bed. This enable right to own guns and ammo in our constitution. There's only three left, and we're one of those. And if I mention the other two, you'd be like, those are inconsequential. This does not happen in other countries. It happens here. And I think the good news is, and Matthew McConaughey talked about this, it feels like there's a tipping point here. What do you think? Yeah, I, I did watch uh, most of his speech, and it, it was very powerful. I agree with with your analysis of what he did. The Again, I, and, and I feel badly about myself in this way. I, I almost now purposefully disengage from these conversations around mass shootings because it's so protracted, because it's so entrenched on either side. Because, as we saw days after this shooting in Texas, you have the NRA convention and the talking points there and the people going into there are... I know, are- I, I know all that. And I, and I think we covered that last week. Let's talk about what Matthew McConaughey said, though. Because you're taking us right down that road. No, I was, and, about, and, to and turn. He, I was and, about to turn. Okay. And so he's a great speaker. If he was an elected official, could he get anything done? Like, as great a speaker as he was and as charismatic as he is, and, you know, I, I love the book Green Lights, and I listen to the whole thing, and it's fantastic. Um, when a celebrity comes into a room, even if it's a congressperson, they're like, oh, my God, this is Matthew McConaughey, and I've seen all your movies. Whether or not that would translate to any sort of votes, whether or not you could take that and turn the ship, and even when you go back to, to Ronald Reagan, you know, if, if Tip O'Neill doesn't exist... Uh, to partner with Ronald Reagan and to help shepherd actual votes around issues, then Ronald Reagan probably isn't Ronald Reagan as we know him. Because he, he had to, you know, and you think of the, the guys like Edward Kennedy uh, through the years partnering with a guy like Bill Clinton. So, yeah, Bill Clinton could come out and give that folksy speech, but then he knew behind the scenes I had to have worker bees, boots on the ground that are churning and burning and turning votes and working the system. And I think the, the genius of Bill Clinton was that he knew how the sausage was made. You know, you, you talked, you, you mentioned Donald Trump. Donald Trump didn't have any idea how the sausage was made and he didn't care. And so when it came to actually turning a, a powerful moment into policy or turning a watershed moment like the Matthew McConaughey reflecting on this mass shooting into change, meaningful change, that's the hard part. Um, not to say that his, his brilliance as a speaker isn't difficult because it is, and his storytelling was great. I, I, I would hope that he, he would have that power to change some votes and maybe he would have the dexterity to get in there and say, all right, we've all felt these big emotions. We've all saw me throw the shoe on the podium. We all have cried tears. We all know that there are things that are just blatantly obvious. We all get the statistics around the world. Now, what are we going to do to that? How, how do we craft something to where uh, it's going to get voted on and that the NRA doesn't, doesn't spend its entire war chest to defeat us? They have all these people that, that just 
do believe in the bumper stickers. They do believe in the talking points. How do you break through that and get them to change their vote? That That's the part that, that I constantly go back to that because we had these same powerful moments after Sandy Hook. We had these same powerful moments after the Aurora, Colorado shooting. We had, like, we had the same powerful moments, uh, you know, after Columbine. We've had the same powerful moments, and we go on and on and on about these mass shootings, and yet the underlying policy and the underlying votes needed to change those policies is exactly the same as it was uh, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Good points there, Ron. Uh, we'll see you on this side. Switch to match. Switch to match. Switch to match. Everybody in the Ron and Don Nation, Ron, is switching to Mitch. That's right? the right. Mitch.loans. Mitch Weeks joins us. And Mitch, you did something the other day that was amazing to us. Ron and Don Nation member wanted to buy a house. You were at an engagement party. The audacity of going to an engagement party. I was able to call you and get the approval letter because we just didn't have it and we put the deal together. So, A, thanks for answering the phone. And that's different than a big bank, right? It sure is. Yeah. I like to be always available for my customers, especially Ron and Don Nation. And yeah, you got a, you got me on the phone and I stepped out of the party and we quickly got him approved. It felt great. Yeah. It was on a Saturday night. I was bringing the buyer and I reached out to my friend Todd and Sue and I said, hey, let's reach out to Mitch tonight. And on a Saturday night, there's no big bank out there that's going to get this deal done. We got it done, and we were able to buy that home. We went on day one. We bought it on day one because Mitch was there, and he answered his phone on Saturday And then night. they are still getting the half a percent deal for being in the Ron and Don Nation from Mitch.loans. Go to Mitch.loans right now. If you're buying a new place, you save a half a percent just for being in the Ron and Don Nation. NMLS 169-1573. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Don't forget, if you want to get in touch with Ron, a new email address, ron at ronanddon.com, and you can write me directly. If there's something on the show that we said, if you have a question about real estate, 1031 Exchange, whatever it is, you can write me as well, don at ronanddon.com. Hey, I think this is kind of interesting. When I started going to therapy a couple of years ago, uh, one thing that my therapist said to me, she said, you know, you are pretty screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> and you got a lot of problems. She said, but one thing that I really respect about you, Don, is that you have very deep abiding friendships that aren't based on partying and they're not based on alcohol. They're not even necessarily based on sports, uh, but you have these deep abiding friendships with other men, with other men. And she said, you know, in my practice, she said, it's very unusual that I'll see a man in his 50s that has a connection to other men. There's some new research out that says that a lot of guys like me and Ron, our age into our 50s, we might have one friend of consequence, maybe two, sometimes none. And in the meantime, we look over there and maybe you have a wife or a partner, whoever our partner is, and they seem to excel at friendships as they get older, right? They seem to excel at it. Uh, I look at my mother. My mother still hangs out in vacations with all the girls that are still alive that she went to elementary school with. And they live all over the country, but they have stayed connected. She has stayed connected with her family. She stayed connected with her cousins. She stayed connected with people that she has worked with through the years. She has done a really good job at connecting. I can remember going over to her house when her second husband was still alive. And when her friends would come over, he would go sit in his office. And he would just sit there. He didn't want to come out. 
He didn't want to interact with anyone. And he wasn't mad or mean. He just was kind of introvert. And he would sit in that office. And I often wondered if he ever left, if he ever connected with other men. And it was interesting because at his funeral, uh, I think there were 41 people there. And most of the people there were my mom's friends. A lot of his friends, not there. A lot of his family, not there. As he got older, boom, he started to go introverted. I think a couple of reasons for this. Number one, I think women don't need us as they get older. I think number two, they do a very good job at staying curious. And I think anytime you stay curious means you're going to go out and learn something. Like I just went to learn to scuba dive. I was in a class with other people that were curious too, and they were learning to scuba dive. Uh, Ron's really good at this. It's staying curious, going out and doing stuff. And when you go out and you do stuff, you have a tendency to connect with other people that are curious as well. Uh, I was with my son last night and I commended him. We went, uh, he had a, a band recital, which was awesome. And I, I said, Hey, you know what I really appreciate about you is I said, I was watching kids at this band recital and when other kids were playing and they were on break, they were just staring into their phones. What he was doing was actually listening to the other kids play their instruments. And when nobody was playing, he was actually sitting there reading a book. Reading a book, I told him, that takes a lot of effort because you open it up and it doesn't entertain you. You have to start reading and doing the work and and trying to understand with that big brain of yours the story, right? And with a video game, you just open that up and it just starts entertaining you right away, which I think is a danger. Danger. Anyway, there was, this article did say, Ron, one of the things that is helping men through the pandemic to connect is actually fan, fantasy sports because men are getting together to do some of these fantasy drafts. And as a result of that, they're ending up in each other's weddings. Uh, they're ending up traveling places to meet other men, do things, go on vacation, go fishing, whatever that is. What do, what do you think that is about us men as we get older? Uh, we have a hard time connecting and having real friendships. And they say a lot of times this ends up sometimes being our partner's fault. And it's one of the reasons sometimes uh, and it's not actually our partner's fault. We just think it is, but they start carrying this. Ends up why uh, we see sometimes people later on in life going through a divorce or separating from a partner because they don't want to carry that. Uh, because men like to do stuff, I think is the the simple answer. And it, it takes one person, uh, one guy to break through and to start asking the questions. The, the article you brought up that, w that was very interesting was a guy that has been doing fantasy sports leagues for 12 years, uh, started in his early 20s, and now he's in his 30s, and his life has changed dramatically, married and now has a toddler. But he's like, should I quit the fantasy leagues? Because this is where I socialize. We get together, uh, and we do these drafts. Every time there's a game, you trash talk with the other guys. And again, it's not intimate conversation, but it is conversation. And I have a reason to call someone. I can call Don and go, hey, Don, I need to trade a player. Uh, you know, coming up this game, what if I do this and you do that? And so it gives us a reason to talk. And then you can sneak in the, Hey, how you doing? Did you get that promotion? I heard it's your son's, your birthday or what? Well, I saw that picture on Facebook where you guys went and did the thing. And so he's like, if he's afraid, cause he doesn't want to do the fantasy sports anymore. He's afraid if he quits the fantasy sports, that he loses his friend group and that the rest of the guys will stay in the league and he won't, they won't interact with him anymore because they don't need to do a trade with him or they don't need to, he doesn't need to meet him at the draft. They get trophies made up every season of like who did the best, who did the worst. And it's the ritual 
uh, and the pattern of going through this. And uh, I've had this as well with, you know, I had a, a poker club that we used to, before the pandemic, we would meet every month. And it's the only time you saw those guys and you would talk about your life, but it was over a card table. And there's only two or three guys out of the 30 guys that would go to that that I still stay in communication with. It's because one or the other of us had the courage to say, hey, this thing happened in my life. And can I talk to you about it? I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and so I think it takes a member of these clubs to go ahead and to break that fourth wall, if you will, and talk outside the club. I heard a really interesting study in the UK, which is even more repressed. The men in the UK are more repressed than the men in the United States. They've started a deal where they make uh, clubhouses in these neighborhoods where they'll, they'll take over, let's say, an old uh, Elks Lodge that went defunct or a, a business that's gone out of, of commission, and they made little workshops. And so they put rudimentary tools in there, uh, a little, you know, a jigsaw, a hammer, a couple workbenches. There's a TV with the soccer game, the football game on there. And men just show up wow. from wow. the neighborhood. And they don't really like there's one guy in there who's like building a birdhouse. He's like, I don't like birdhouses. I don't know anything about birds, but I know that if I come here and I build a birdhouse, A, it gets me out of my house. B, I'll end up spending most of my time uh, talking to the other guys here and uh, I can watch the soccer game. We can rib each other. And he's like, I have 10 birdhouses now. I don't know what to do with these. Like anybody want a birdhouse? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of my real estate journey started at a breakfast, and the breakfast started because I taught a spin class. And at spin class, mostly moms and women came, and I could see their connection with each other before and after class. And I'd look online. I'd see them having so much fun and traveling together and going to the park and playing with their kids and going out and happy hour and all that. And, and there were a few guys in my class, and we didn't have that. So I said, you know what? Let's meet at Cherry Street Coffee every day, 7 a.m. when we're done with this class because we roll from 545 645 we'll meet at seven and we'll just hang out for 45 minutes we'll have breakfast together and from that we've done so much philanthropy together uh from that these are the guys that helped us build cleveland field from that uh one of my partners emerged that uh has shown me the ropes when it comes to to rehab and airbnb and everything else so there, there's there's these deep friendships and and also my love for maui uh, started as a result of uh of those connections and those meetings and being around other people so uh, if you don't have that you can create it and i bet you you guys if you if you just ask people to come they'll come and in fact my guys that i did breakfast with they talk about it all the time and one guy moved away and through the pandemic we weren't able to have as many breakfasts but we've still had a number of those and and the guys can't wait. So, uh, and one of the one of the other guys, my architect, and he's helped me build a, a couple of ha houses as well. And 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 then just just our great friendships and our great connections together, uh, it makes life really rich. So if you don't have that, just think about something you might be interested in. Start showing up, and uh, other people start showing up too. And it's a great way to feel those connections because especially as our kids leave. Nobody wants to be lonely in this life, you guys. So anyway, hey, thanks for stopping by and listening to episode 411. It means the world to us. If you want to sit down with us, go to our website, runningdownsitdown.com, and there it will share with you uh, 
basically our background in real estate, how you can sit down virtually with us. And in fact, if you'd like to do that, you can write Ron, Ron directly, Ron at Ronandon.com. That's Ron at Ronandon.com. And you can write me too as well, Don at Ronandon.com. Whether you want to talk about the broadcast or you want to talk about real estate, we would love to hear from you. Also, get signed up for the Nation News, right? Yeah, it's right there on the website. Uh, we'll send out uh, several times a month, two, three, four times a month, uh, a message that we've written. We don't sell the, the or spam you on that at all. It's not going to follow you around the web. Uh, you sign up for the Nation News at ronandonsitdown.com. Yeah, and if you're thinking about selling right now, still is a great time, you guys. It's still a great time. And if you want to sell this fall, we got to talk this summer because we got to get you tuned up. It takes a number of months to get houses ready to bring those to the market and get those sold. So reach out to us, uh, ronadonsitdown.com. All right. Till next time, episode 412 will be here before you know it. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. He's Ron. I'm Don. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show. I'm I'm doing that pregnant pause like Matthew McConaughey. See how, see, see how powerful that is? Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back. And keep blowing that trumpet. And we'll see you next time. Only. 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 Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.